0: Beautiful music this morning, amen? Amen. From the start to just now, every note glorifying God, lifting our voices to Him. What a magnificent morning. God is good all the time. time. What a delight. Well, we've been thinking together about marriage, and I just have to confess again this morning with some humility that this is not a subject that I'm an expert on, if you have to be a perfect husband to preach on, on marriage, then I need to sit down. But on the other hand, if the Word of God has something to say to us today to make all of us better in our relationships, then, then let us hear that Word from God and let us put it into practice You have heard that it was said, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. But I say unto you, a man is like a computer and a woman is like a cell phone. Now stay with me. One woman described her experience with her husband and said, well, he processes a lot of information and that's good because I have a lot of information to download into him when he comes home. And so... She said, I go, but there are periods where he just sort of, like my computer screen, just freezes. And he has that kind of blank look on his face, and at that point, I know I need to reboot. I, I need to do something. But she, as she explained it to him one day, he said, well, okay, I'm a computer, but you're you're a cell phone. He said, she said, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you're always going off, and, and when you do, there, it seems like you always... Um, even if I don't pick up, you just, you're relentless, you persist. And so they sort of came to an agreement. And I think in that little analogy, you get something of the differences of men and women, that we are different sometimes in the way that we respond to each other. And that makes communication difficult. Let me give you an example. One, one husband and wife were uh, preparing for bed one night and they were just having a a conversation he was already in bed he was just reading something and and she said to him if anything ever happened to me would you would you remarry and he said I would never get married again in a million years (laughs) and right when he said it he knew he'd said the wrong thing it was the look on her face and she said you don't like being married he said no no I love okay okay yes if something happened to you I okay I would get remarried and she said you would He's not winning in this. And so he said, well, you know, I, yes, I would. You know, marriage has been wonderful. I guess I, guess I would. She said, well, 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 you wouldn't let her live in our house, would you? And he said, well, it's, it's a pretty good house. I, I guess I would. And she said, you wouldn't let her drive my car, would you? He said, well, it's, it's, it's almost new. I, I guess I would let her drive if she wanted to drive. Would you let her wear my jewelry? Well, no, she'd probably want her own jewelry. Would you let her use my golf clubs? No, he said, she's left-handed. Then he knew. He was in a lot of trouble. Well, communication takes a lot of work, and uh, it's fraught with dangers all around. Garrison Keillor, in his book, Wobegon Boy, said, there's no such thing as a successful marriage. There are marriages that give up, and there are marriages that keep on trying. So when we celebrate 70-year-long marriages, as we did a few weeks ago in our church for one of our couples, we realize uh, they have... They have kept on trying, haven't they? This morning, I want to point you at a a more successful marriage even than that, one that has lasted for 2,000 years. Jesus Christ has loved his bride. May he be our example. Would you open your Bibles with me, Ephesians 5? I'm going to read verses 25 through 30 with you this morning. We've been working through these uh, verses. Often in the past, I've just preached one sermon on chapter 5, 21 to 33, but I think you'll agree with me, there's more there than that. Let's stand together to read God's word, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, for the sake of his beautiful name, amen. You may be seated. Marriage, the key to marriage is the shape of a cross. We've talked about relationship with God, empowering us for relationship with each other. We've talked about submitting to one another and and what that means in relationships and we'll know that we're doing that well when we're able to take constructive criticism from each other when we're able to handle conflict when we're able to surrender our own desires and will for the sake of the relationship of the person who belongs to us now Paul has significant instructions specifically for husbands. These inform, by the way, all of our relationships with each other, our friendships. These words are significant in every way. But what he has to say is, husbands, love your own wives. It is uh, filled with truth that, that you are the husband, that your responsibility is to love, that your wife is your wife and you are to love her for two reasons. He says you're to love her first because Christ loves you. And he has demonstrated his love for you on the cross. And second, you are to love her as you love yourself. And most of us love ourselves a great deal. So with those sort of guidelines in mind, he points us to this relationship. And and I know you may have heard, and, and maybe I have said and implied, that there's some sort of quid pro quo relationship here where... Wives, if you'll submit, then your husbands will find it easier to sacrifice. And husbands, if you'll sacrifice, then wives will find it easier to submit. And I'm not saying that there's not some truth in that. But if Christ's cross is the example, if his unconditional love shows us the way, then understand when I say to you, Christ gave up his life with no expectation in return. We had nothing to offer to him that could ever repay him or offer any recompense or the love that He showed. Marriage is give and take, someone has said, but in most ways, isn't it more like give and give? And there's never a time when we can say, okay, well, I've given all I can now. It's your turn to give. But rather, there is this symbiosis or synzoesis, as I called it, where you... You share life together and you share eternal life together. And for this reason, believe me when I say that outside of personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we will never be able to live marriage to its fullest. And here's why. How can I ever sacrifice my life for another person until I comprehend that Christ has sacrificed his life for me and have submitted to His Lordship in my life. When I learn to submit to Him, then I'm able to submit to others. When I realize His sacrifice for me, then I'm able to make sacrifices in my relationships for others. So Christ calls us to a cross-shaped marriage, a cross-shaped relationship in which we give and give because Christ has given so much to us. Let me show you first that we love with a life-giving love when we sacrifice freely and willingly for others. Notice, again, just pick up with me in verse 25 when he says, Husbands, love your wives. Your wife, just as the husband belongs to the wife, the wife belongs to the husband. And his measure of this is just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Now that that word, gave himself up for her, that word is used three times in the book of Ephesians. Let me just show you one other one that I think is very significant. It's in chapter 5, same chapter, verse 2, where it says, and live a life of love. Now he's applying this to all of our relationships. You and I are supposed to live lives of love, he says in verse 2, just as Christ loved us. Notice the same, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are all about other people sacrificing for us, but we are supposed to sacrifice for each other. And Christ shows us the way to do that. It's why, it's why Tim Keller said, we can never understand relationship apart from substitutionary sacrifice. All real love involves substitutionary sacrifice. I will sacrifice so that you do not have to. The the story is told from years ago of a great king whose great general's wife was caught in an indiscretion and the king was going to put the general's wife to death, but the general found out about it and he came running in and and he said, no, let me die in her place. And when the king saw the general's love for his wife, he said, "A, a love like that must not be sacrificed, and as they were walking out, the wife has been given her life back. Uh, the, The general asked his wife, did you see what the king said? She said, I couldn't look at the king because all I could see was the man who was willing to die for me. It may help us in our relationships to remember that there is one who has actually died for us. And how could God ever really love our world unless He was willing to enter into its pain and its suffering and its reality? Here's the good news. Jesus Christ really has. Here's the better news. No other world religion has ever claimed that. Jesus Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for us informs our relationships with each other in powerful ways so that we are called upon to love in the same way that he loves. One of my favorite preachers through the years has been Evie Hill, this uh, pastor who's gone to be with the Lord. His wife has gone to be with the Lord. But he, he told some years ago at a conference that I was at that his, his uh, life was uh, threatened by various people through the years. And one day they got a message in the evening. The phone rang and the, the phone call simply said, You will die tomorrow. He hung up the phone, he wasn't going to tell his wife, but she understood something was wrong, something was amiss, and said, what did they say? They said, I'm going to die tomorrow, he said. They went to bed that night, they slept a sort of fitless sleep, unable really to rest well, but finally he dozed off. And when he awakened in the morning, he he reached across the bed and she was gone. And so he got up and started looking for her, she was nowhere to be found in the house. He looked out the front window and she was driving up in his car in her robe and when she got out of the car and came into the house he said where have you been what have you done she said well it occurred to me that they might have planted a bomb in your car and I drove it it's okay and he looked at his wife and he said from that day on he never one more time ever asked his wife do you love me he already knew The answer, You and I, when we consider what Christ has done for us on the cross, can never, ever again lift our eyes heavenward and say, God, do you really love me? I know some days it rains. I know some day the traffic is is heavy. I know sometimes things don't go well. I know sometimes you get bad news, maybe the worst of news at all. But when you take that and place it in the light of the cross, what you realize is we can never honestly look at God and say, Do you love me? The only real question of our relationship with God goes the other way. Do we really love Him? Do we love Him with an undying love? We heard this morning, If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. Consider with me, was there ever a time when you loved Him more than you love Him right now? And doesn't He deserve... All of our love because of His great and rich love for us. And so if that is the measure of our love, then He says we are to sacrifice for one another. And it's sort of easy to say to our spouses, I would give up my life for you. But on occasion, we've seen the reality of that. Even in our own church family, when, when Tom Asbill and Donna, when, when she needed a kidney, he gave up his kidney for her so that she might live And we might say, well, if if we were in that situation, I'm sure the husbands and wives in this room would say, I would gladly do that to save the life of my spouse. But often it's not that dramatic, is it? Oftentimes, what we find is that our chance to lay down our lives is really lived out in more simple ways than that. It's the small things that we do that say, I love you. We live with a life-giving love when we sacrifice for each other. We We live with a life-giving love when we speak words that sanctify and cleanse. Notice again what Jesus was doing when He was giving Himself up for us, the church. He had this intention in mind that we might be pure and spotless and unblemished, that we might be His bride, unwrinkled, that we might belong completely to Him. And the way He did this, it says, verse 26, has caused theologians some consternation. It it says, He um, did this to make her holy, that is set apart for God. Christ died so that we might be set apart for God. Cleansing her by the washing with water. We got that part, right? I mean, Baptists got that part, the washing with water. I mean, we don't just sprinkle, we hold people under till they bubble. I mean, we've got the we've got the washing with water part. The perplexing part is that little three word phrase, through the word. What does that mean? How did Jesus cleanse the church? Through the word. And the parallel we have for this is in John chapter 17, verses 17 and 19. Remember, Jesus is our great high priest. We've been studying that uh, on Monday through Friday mornings in our study through Hebrews online. But what you see is Jesus saying as the great high priest, Sanctify them by your word. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so Jesus teaches us there that our sanctification actually happens through truth, Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. So, how do we translate that into our relationships? Well, Paul has already said we're supposed to speak the truth to each other. And we are to do it in love. So Jesus, when He says, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's speaking truth to us. There is no other answer for us. When He says to, to Peter... Do you love me? He's speaking the truth in love to him. And when he says, feed my sheep, he's entrusting Peter again with responsibility, even though Peter has failed. And I thought about words that we ought to speak to one another. What are things that we can say? It's always a good thing to say, I love you. We don't want to be like that character who, uh, whose wife said, we've been married all these years and you never tell me you love me. Why don't you just... Tell me that you love me. He said, I told you on the day that we married that I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, that's not good enough. We've got to speak it. We've got to, it sounds like a DC talk song. We've got to say the word say, I love you. We need to say, I forgive you. We need to say, as he says here, nourishing and cherishing. We need to speak words that say, You are beautiful and I want you to be holy. We need sometimes to say, don't worry, I'll get that. Or I'll pick that up for you. Or I'll wash the dishes for you. Verified fact, recent survey, no wife has ever shot her husband while he was washing the dishes. (laughs) Never has happened in the history of the world. So the challenge for us is to sort of not just speak love, but show love. Christ was demonstrative. He laid down His life. And so we are constantly laying down our lives for each other. We're not just saying, I love you. We are sharing love. And the purpose of all that is that our spouses might be holy. That they might be set apart for God. Two questions. Do you really purpose for your spouse to be set apart to God? Second question. What are you doing about that? You know, apply it to your relationships if you're a single adult today. Is it your highest purpose for your friends that they be consecrated to God? And what are you doing about that? Think about it in relationship with your kids. Is it your highest purpose for them to be set apart for God? We would settle for less sometimes than God intends. God wants all of us to be holy, to be set apart for Him. Just this week, uh, Melanie Uh, listen to a sermon. She has a satellite radio in her Honda and uh, she said there's this preacher out in California named Chip Ingram. On occasion when I borrowed her car I have heard this guy preach and he's a really very pragmatic preacher and she said you need to hear this message. I said "I'll, I'll pick it up at the office. Next thing I knew she had it dialed up on the internet and it was playing out loud in our living room. So I thought she really wants me to hear this and and uh, he said, six things that you can do to move your life from good to great. And she said, now listen to this point. And he said, take out the trash. And I said, oh, so he means that, you know, when there are things in our relationship that obstruct us that aren't good, we need to get rid of those. She said, no, he means take out the trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he had six things. And I mean, it's very, very practical kind of, of stuff. But as I was listening to it, I thought, I love being married to a person who not only has a heart for God, but who wants me to have a heart for God and is willing to share the truth with me. And I believe, as I have watched uh, marriages in this congregation over the last 13 years, I think about those, all the 50-year celebrations we've had, all the 60-year celebrations, and and a handful, almost a handful of 70-year celebrations. And then I think about... The godly widows and widowers who, if their spouses had lived long enough, would have met those same milestones. And then I think about the ways I have watched wives and husbands sustain each other. What does he say in these verses? Care for, cherish, and nourish. Beautiful story of one of our members whose uh, husband at a very young age came down with a, a Frontal lobe kind of dementia. He realized something was wrong. He was beginning to forget things. He started, she said, he started taking notes on all my sermons so that he could go back because he would forget what I had said and he wanted. And she shared those notes with me this week. And I mean, it's a great gift for me to, to have those. And she shared letters that he had written to his kids and letters that he had written to her. When he started to realize, I'm not always going to be able to do this, he captured that moment. He redeemed that time, Paul would say to the Ephesians, and didn't miss the chance. To express his love for her. A similar story I encountered this week. um, A gentleman who knew he was losing his memory. And and, uh, one day in his journal he just wrote a, a sort of note to his wife. And I share it with you today. He wrote, honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you. And your love. It's sort of like that movie Notebook, isn't it? I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. And when his wife read that in his journal, blinking back tears, she picked up his pen and she wrote these words. My sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where you no longer know me? I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you. See, I've watched this in this church. Not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me. The look on his face when his children were born. The father he was. The way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for riding and hiking and reading. His tears at sentimental movies. The unexpected witty remarks. How he held my hand while I prayed. I cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment, and opportunity to care for you because I remember you. And when on occasion I have had the chance to have a front row seat to watch that kind of love, you can't blame me when I have wondered, where does that kind of love come from? And when I read Ephesians 5, I remember that that kind of love Comes from a heavenly father who gave all of his all on the cross. One of my heroes and mentors in literature, John R.W. Stott, said this week, I am in the church today and I'm a follower of Christ today, not just because my parents took me to church, not just because the church taught me the truth, but because Jesus relentlessly pursued me. Like the hound of heaven, he would not let me go. Through the days and through the nights, I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind, Francis Thompson wrote. I fled from him, and in the midst of tears, I hid from him, but he followed me relentlessly with urgency because he would not let me go. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee God will not let you go do not let him go remember his love for you and it will not be hard to love others as he has loved us would you pray with me Father thank you for your amazing love and mercy we are trophies of grace today Lord we do not plead our own righteousness or innocence before you but we thank you, Lord, that you have not given up on us, that you still love us even when we are not loving towards you. Perhaps, Lord, today in this, in this room is someone who wonders if you have given up on somebody they love. And, Lord, remind us again that your anger lasts for a moment, but your love lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night But joy comes in the morning. I pray that this morning would be the morning when joy comes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite you this morning to place all of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His whole life for you on the cross. Would you receive His love today so that you might be empowered to live a life of love and to live a life-giving kind of love in your home and your relationships. As God leads you, we welcome you to receive Christ as your Savior, to follow Him in baptism or to unite with this church by promise of letter or statement of your faith. Let's stand together. I'll meet you here at the front. Come right now as we sing.